Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. What are those people doing? Yeah, I don't know either. Y'all out there in the cheap seats, what are those people doing? They got married. How can you tell? The white dress. Yeah. Okay, so one of them has a white dress on, one of them has a tuxedo, the car is all dressed up too, and the people in the back, you called them the wedding party. How can you tell they're the wedding party? They're all dressed up too. So everybody at this wedding, in this particular picture anyway, uh, from this particular stock photography website, Everybody is dressed up in very particular clothing for this wedding, which is one of the ways that we can tell what they are doing right there. Because weddings, we've got a story about a wedding today, that's why I'm talking about weddings. We've got a more interesting picture later on, don't worry. Weddings come with expectations, right? They come with expectations that we're not always actually even comfortable with, right? Expectations about how to wear, how to dress, how to act, how to um, relate to the other people that you're at the wedding with, because a wedding is a ritual about changing who we are. It's about a change in relationship. And actually, everybody at the wedding, all of these people who are dressed up for this wedding, all of them are going to end up in a different relationship with each other by the end of the wedding than they had at the beginning. So they'll be like in-laws, and they'll be like, oh, you're married to my friend instead of you're just like that person that my friend knows. And, and so everybody involved goes through some kind of change at this wedding. And everybody involved is invited to share their blessing with this couple who's getting married. Now... Y'all grown-ups out there know that the rules about how you dress at weddings are changing, right? Um, a lot of those rules about how we dress, um, where we wear certain clothing, how we relate to each other, a lot of those rules are changing, and some of them are changing really fast. And we also know that it still really matters how we show up for a wedding or for just about anything else. So. We've got a story about a wedding, but it's a story about how we show up. Warren's going to read that for us. Uh, the uh, scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14, page 29 and 30 of the New, in the New Testament in your pew Bible. Once more... Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. 
while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those, those slaves went out to the streets and gathered all whom they found, both the good and the bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? He was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darknesses, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The word of the Lord. The king said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus told us at the very beginning, this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. So I have another parable about the kingdom of heaven for you. Caitlin, can I have the next picture? The kingdom of heaven is like this soccer team, this soccer team in particular, although soccer teams in general, but I'm going to talk about this one. Um, and the kids on this soccer team are not models, and they did not consent to have their faces be part of this sermon, and so that's why it looks like they don't have heads if you're looking really closely. Now, the kingdom of heaven is like kids' sports teams in general, but I'm going to say it is like this soccer team in particular. This is the soccer team that um, my kiddo Ben plays on officially and um, Ian plays on a little less officially from time to time. Paige Schieber plays on this team unofficially as well. Because um, we're a little bit ragtag, that's kind of how we roll. Um, we are not a team that is good at soccer, by and large, um, but that's not what we're here for. We've got a, a whole range of different soccer talents. Some of our kids are, uh, are gooder at soccer than others. Um, but that's not what's special about this team. What's special about this team is who these kids are. This soccer team was created intentionally to create a team where kids who are transgender or non-binary can have a place and a context and a group of friends to play sports with. Uh, one of the kiddos on this team said to their parent, you know, I really wish there were a team for kids like me. And their parents said, what if we make a team for kids like you? And there we are. And so you don't need to know anything about soccer. Uh, to understand what's going on with this team. You don't even need to know very much about gender to know what's going on uh, with this team. All you really need to know is how much these kids love each other. All you need to know is how much these kids love each other. All you need to know is what it looks like to watch these kids blossom 
as they find themselves in a group of peers who are on their side, who understand them, who begin with the assumption that we are all one team together. You don't need to know much about soccer, you don't need to know much about gender to know what it is to watch somebody's eyes light up when you truly recognize who they are, when you call them by their name, when you speak to them and about them with love. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And the kingdom of heaven shows up sometimes, particularly when the dominant culture pushes a group of people to the margins. And that group of people finds joy and vibrancy in a space that they have created and defined for themselves. And so you can see that same dynamic happen with marginalized races or cultures, groups of people who often create just brilliant music or art or food and often lead us into religious transformation because that's what happens in the spaces that people carve out where they can truly belong. And we in dominant racial, cultural, gender, or sexual orientation groups, we often benefit with or without fairly compensating those who have done the work of creating that culture. Caitlin, why don't you take soccer back down? See, I'm talking about soccer not because of soccer, but uh, because of this story that Jesus tells us today, a story that is pointing to the kingdom of heaven coming into being around the margins of our world. It, the kingdom of heaven comes into being around the margins of our world, one, because the kingdom of heaven is about justice, and so we see justice come into being where where God sets things right for those who have been otherwise excluded and set on the outside. But the kingdom of heaven also is more visible on the margins because folks on the margins are usually better positioned than I am to see the kingdom of heaven. They're better positioned than I am to really look for and work for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' story is not about soccer. You didn't miss anything there. Jesus' story is about rebellion. The king hosts a wedding, and the people who are supposed to be the king's subjects, they don't want to come. In fact, they attack the king's own servants. This is a story about rebellion. This is a story about the really challenging choice about where we put our loyalty. Who is our king? Now, of course, we are here in a Christian church, and so we know that the right answer to every question is Jesus, and that's the right answer today, too. Who is the son of this king who is throwing a wedding banquet? Well, it's Jesus. He's the one telling the story here. But Jesus is not standing right in the center of power and authority here as he tells this story. He is actually face-to-face, toe-to-toe with the established dominant power structure. See, Jesus is in Jerusalem in the very last week before his death, and he is having it out with the religious power brokers of his day, the ones who would decide who is in and who is out of the religious world as they understand it. 
And so Jesus is telling a story specifically about their reaction to this kingdom of heaven. And their reaction is to ignore, to persecute, and to reject this kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven will not be stopped. And so Jesus' story goes on, and the king gathers the king who isn't even recognized by the powerful people in his community. That king goes and gathers up all the common people to join in the party. And it is hard for people like me to see that when it happens. It is hard for people like me who are positioned at the very center of so much of the the power dynamics in our culture. It's hard for me to see the kingdom of heaven when it sprouts up around the edges of our community because that kingdom of heaven challenges my own way of being. And I'm like a lot of Presbyterians in that way, I think. Like Jesus' audience here, we Presbyterians are sitting right at the center of our religious world. And so we have seasons like this that pull us out of ourselves to try to look at the kingdom of heaven in our community around us. So during this season of Lent, we are connecting these parables that Jesus tells with life in Iowa today. And today we're Uh, invited to wrestle a little bit with who belongs and who is excluded, who is at the center of our communities and who is on the margins of our communities. And I have to be clear, I am talking about myself here. And I have to be clear that I am talking about a dynamic that is older than I am, even older than you are, older than the communities as we understand them are here. And I'm talking about some changes that are happening faster than most of us can believe or have prepared ourselves for. So I know that when I talk about gender identity and sexuality, people of good faith come to different conclusions and they get there honestly about that because we inherit traditional religious teachings, we inherit the force of cultural uniformity, and we inherit a knowledge of where the center of our communities is that can make it hard for us to see the kingdom of heaven when it grows up around the edges of our communities. I could say the same thing about race or culture here in Iowa, in a state that is overwhelmingly white as far back as it has been called by this name, And that has happened by policy, not by historical accident, even though none of us in this room voted for that to happen that way. And yes, I could be talking about other patterns of exclusion where we may define ourselves against each other in terms of education, about economics, about community context, about political history. There is so much that is broken in the ways that we identify ourselves in and against uh, this community. And I want to say it again, we Presbyterians, we did not explicitly ask for this to be the history. And we Presbyterians, we have a very particular role in terms of that history because Presbyterians throughout the history of this state, Presbyterians throughout the history of there being such a thing as Presbyterians, we have been leaders in our community. We have been pillars of the communities 
holding up the, the very center of what our communities are defined to be. And that means that the party happening out on the margins of the community, it looks really different to a lot of us. It looks really different to a lot of us who are at the center of how things have been. And that is legitimately hard. That is legitimately hard for us. We are understandably proud of what we have achieved, of the, the legacies that we've been able to hand down, and when we're honest, we know that we have also been complicit in a history that we often would not choose to do the same way if we had it to do over again. And so we're positioned in a place where it's really hard to see where that transformation happening out at the margins is revitalizing the communities that we share. And when we see it, it can be threatening, which is why I put up a picture of a bunch of kids who are that transformation. See, the kingdom of heaven is like that particular soccer team. The kingdom of heaven is like that particular soccer team. And it's hard for us to see, but we know exactly where it will happen. That's actually the good news of this whole story, is that we know from, the, from going into the story, we know that the king is holding a wedding banquet for his son, and we know that's where we want to look. And when we're honest, we know how hard it is for us to see that wedding banquet when it takes place. But Jesus tells us that banquet is going to happen with or without us. The celebration is going to happen with or without us. The joy and love of that community will happen with us or without us. And friends, that is actually really good news. That is good news because we too are invited to join that party. And we don't even have to know anything about soccer. We don't know how to dance at a wedding. We don't have to know much of anything except to be willing to look for love where it is sprouting and growing up all around us. We only have to be willing to see the new reality that is the kingdom of heaven. We have to be willing to try on that new reality of joy. It is a little bit like dressing for a wedding or a soccer game, I suppose. You have to try it on to see how it's going to work. So that soccer team, we do dress very particularly for change and transformation on that team. We have very specific practices that help us to keep that safe space available for people who don't have another space often to be really, truly celebrated. And so we make that team safe by doing things like using the correct names and pronouns, that is, the names and pronouns that those kids tell us are right for them, even when that is different from the names or pronouns they may uh, feel the need to use elsewhere in life, or even when those change on us. We commit to meeting every kid on that team just exactly where they, where they are, whether we're talking about athletic level or personality or other needs they may have. This is not hard stuff, is it? We insist on using positive, supportive language between our peers on the team and toward the other competitors on the field. That one's a little more difficult sometimes, honestly. But we insist on using that language, and we often are celebrating the other team's accomplishments more than the parents of that other team are, I'll be honest with you. 
Because, see, other, other sports teams can be great, too, and you all uh, know other great sport te- sports teams. You all know that the church, at its best, can live into that very same reality. But it's those practices, those habits, that actually make some space for the kingdom of heaven to arise among those very particular, wonderful, beloved kids. And that's what we're invited to. That's the invitation to the party. That is the invitation to be gathered in, to put on that special wedding garment and come celebrate. I actually say something at weddings often from the book of Colossians that talks about how we dress ourselves, how we clothe ourselves. Now, it wasn't originally written about weddings. There's very little in the New Testament about weddings. But... It's about baptism. It's about life in the church. It's about life in the kingdom of heaven. It's ultimately about this transformation that God is working in our lives. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, Teach and admonish each other in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. And now, a moment for mission. Our moment for mission this morning lifts up one great hour of sharing the special offering we are collecting throughout the season of Lent, which we will dedicate on Easter Sunday. The economic status of women may be improving worldwide, but life remains very much unchanged for Dalit women in India. Dalit women, uh, Dalit uh, was formerly referred to as untouchables. Dalit women uh, face not only gender bias, but also caste-based discrimination and economic injustice. They are forbidden to draw water from the common well. They are prohibited from entering temples, are given the leftovers thrown away by the higher caste, and are barred from the right to education. One Dalit woman, Smitha Krishnan, was left as the sole provider for her family when her husband died, just before India's last tsunami. Not only did she lose her husband, but then in the tsunami she also lost their humble house and everything in it, including her sewing machine, which was her only way of earning a living. Thanks to a grant to provide shelter and sewing machines, among other essentials from Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, Smitha and her family face a more hopeful future now. 
through a local non-governmental organization, Presbyterian's gifts to One Great Hour of Sharing have enabled thousands of people to cope with the impact of discrimination, natural disasters, and the COVID pandemic. Smith's words tell the whole story. Because of people's gifts to One Great Hour of Sharing, we now live in a permanent and disaster-resistant shelter. My kids are back in school, and I am able to feed and clothe them, and when they get sick, I am able to take care of their medication as well. Thank you, and may the Lord continue to provide for those who continue to give to One Great Hour of Sharing. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.